0: My name is Suzanne Stabile. Welcome back to the Enneagram Journey. My guests today are Teresa and Peter McBean. We're gonna talk about their courtship and I want you to pay particular attention to one of the best honeymoon stories I've
1: ever heard. I am really um, excited to be able to introduce my husband, Peter McBean, who is a one on the Enneagram. And we have had some really exciting times uh, figuring that out. But he is a great guy, the delight of my life, and just about perfect. (laughs) Wow.
2: (laughs) Wow. And I am Pete, and I'm happy to introduce my bride of 39 years, Teresa, who is a six on the Enneagram, and my best friend.
0: I um, have kind of fallen in love with the two of you as a couple over the time that I've known you. So we're recording today from Richmond, Virginia, where they live and uh, where I get to work a couple of times a year teaching Enneagram stuff. And one of the, the best stories that I've ever heard the two of you tell is about your honeymoon. So I've decided that it would be so fun for us to start with that story because it's such... A one-six story of a honeymoon. And you can tell it together, each helping the other remember the important stuff. But I don't think anybody's ever had a honeymoon like that. And I think it highlights your Enneagram numbers. So after you tell the story, I'm going to work a little bit with oneness and sixness, and then we'll keep going with the conversation.
1: Well, I think maybe the important thing to start with is we, we got married straight out of college but we had known each other since we were in the 10th grade. We didn't start dating each other to our last year in college. Mm -hmm. And uh, so our honeymoon was six weeks after graduating from college, and we spent your first paycheck on that honeymoon.
2: We did. Yeah, because my whole first paycheck was going to this honeymoon, my thought was we were going to a resort that offered golf and tennis and... uh, (laughs) paddle boarding boarding and archery and uh you name it and so for some reason I um thought that we needed to do everything that was offered while we were there (laughs) uh, regardless of the fact that we were on our honeymoon
1: or whether we even enjoyed the activity or not yeah
2: yeah it was kind of like we needed to check it off the list right otherwise we sort of got cheated out of something
1: yes and do you remember how we had we sat at a big table with other couples, which we we had known ourselves, we would have said that's horrible. And we they would ring a bell for the meal, and you practically made us run to the meal because we would be running from an activity.
2: Yes, so we, um, you know, we we had paid for the meals, so we were going to eat. <laughs> we the were going to eat them. <laughs> 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 so. Uh, what was, uh, probably should have been a very uh, intimate and relaxing uh, experience was uh, uh, a horrible vacation.
1: Exhausting.
2: Yeah, being we part have... of a tour group or something. Yeah,
1: and what was that thing <laughs> called that we you made us do before breakfast? Because it was the only way we would get into it with...
2: Paddle boats.
1: Paddle boats. So paddle boarding is way too sexy. We were wrong when we said that.
2: Yeah, it was paddle boats. We were on a
1: paddle boat in a little muddy pond with, with a bunch of algae. covered water. Algae. Yeah. But we had to do it before yeah, breakfast because we, we had to check everything off your list. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. It was
1: great. That's our story.
0: All right. Well, I'm ready to dial in on that. My dad was the one on the Enneagram and my mom was five. and on their honeymoon, he, uh, they'd been married a little while, and he was a young doctor in the panhandle of Texas working at a, a Catholic hospital. And the doctor who owned the hospital and who was daddy's boss said to my dad, mm-hmm. uh, I'll tell you what, the three nuns who work here really want to go to Santa Fe. And I'll let you take your bride and my Model A, and I'll give you $50 to go to Santa Fe on your honeymoon if you'll take the nuns with you. (laughs) So my dad said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And went home to my mom and said, we got got this really great deal. (laughs) So one of the things I want to point out right away about ones is that I I think the heart of ones sometimes gets lost because they're like the fourth aggressive number, right? Right. And all of the story about your honeymoon is all about heart. And it's all about rules. And it's all about getting your money's worth Absolutely. out of that first whole paycheck, which seems like, and I think you even said this, Pete, seems like the right thing to do.
2: Mm <laughs> hmm.
0: And I think all ones need to be aware that the right thing to do in a big picture is not always the right thing to do in a little picture. So my mom and dad at the time both smoked. And my mom, not too much, but when she was nervous, she did. So the mother superior of the community was going with them and she said, I I just can't ride in the backseat. So she rode in the front seat with daddy. And mother is in the back seat with another nun. The third nun backed out, didn't okay. go. So, daddy, every time he would light up a cigarette, would look at mother in the rearview mirror and kind of blow the smoke. And every time they told the story, and they were married for 58 years, and every time they told the story, my dad still thought that was so cute. And my mom would turn to me and say, He thinks that's so cute. So, I don't know what went on between the two of you on the honeymoon. But what I do know is when you tell it now, you tell it with great affection. And I think there's a piece, and you can tell me if this is true for you or not, that understands that need to do everything right and to get your money's worth out of everything you invest in. And it's almost endearing when it's in moderation. Is that true for you?
1: It is true and I think we've had this conversation a lot because we're both in the dependent stance. Mm-hmm. And because and, and I don't I don't know if this is a good place to say this or not but one of the things that I wanted to say is oftentimes you will teach that ones can misbehave at home. Mm-hmm. And he really doesn't misbehave at home especially for a 6 in the dependent stance from the family of origin I came from.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So, one of the things that was very difficult for us is I never picked up on any of this being anything less than perfect until I learned the Enneagram.
0: Oh, so the first, (laughs) yeah, yay! (laughs) Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. The first three
1: years of work on the Enneagram was me coming to grips with the fact that he wasn't perfect, and it was not a good three years for our marriage. Three years did, is a long time. In. Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. it that long? It was pretty, yeah. It might have been longer, but I live in the present, so I don't do well mm-hmm. with past measuring time. But it was just like, oh my gosh, he's not perfect. Not only that, mm-hmm. he's actually criticizing me. Yeah. And I didn't know it. He has a very big nine wing. Mm-hmm. So he, he was so good at it, and it was so subtle compared to being spoken to abusively. Mm hmm that I didn't pick up on it. So unlike other people who had these wonderful stories of the second they heard the Enneagram, their marriage immediately improved, mm-hmm. he kept saying, I don't even, I, I want to know where the compassion is because I'm not seeing any of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's part of it is that I would have never picked up on anything other than I thought I, and still do think, I was the luckiest girl in the world to be married to him. Yeah.
0: Um, I think it might help people who are listening to know a little bit about the community here at North Star, Mm -hmm. because I think that forms so much of the good work that you do in your marriage. So will you talk about that for a little bit and your role in the community and how um, how you think that affects how you work out life with one another as a couple?
1: Well, um, I'm pastor of uh, North Star Community, which is a very small and humble uh, recovery church. And we've been doing it almost 20 years. Uh, We backed into it being in the dependent stance and found our calling. Mm -hmm. And um, he um, is the the very stabilizing rudder on the ship, Mm -hmm. has been, and um, is a very silent leader in this very faithful um but we have been very committed to working the 12 steps and pretty early on we realized that i could not lead if we had junk in our trunk Mm -hmm. i couldn't come up on a sunday morning and put on some shiny face so we had to work on our stuff and that required us to be less dependent and more honest with each other Mm, that's good. One of the
0: things that you all have heard me say lots of times that I always want everybody to hear me say is the enneagram is really great, and it's just one tool, mm-hmm. and it's a good one, but it's just one. And I, mm-hmm. it's so trendy right now. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of concern about it being seen as the end all be all of mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. and I think one of the reasons that I so enjoy teaching the enneagram here in this community is because most of the people who attend the workshop have done work in recovery. Mm -hmm. And so they come to the table with other tools besides just the Enneagram. What would you say the intersection is between doing 12-step work and doing Enneagram work? And uh, what would you say might be a, a pitfall to watch for? if somebody's new in recovery and working the steps and also
1: learning the enneagram i do as a 6 i'm always looking at worst case scenarios so i'll start with the worst case scenario there there is also some trendy movement of offering the enneagram in treatment facilities and i love it if they're long term treatment mm-hmm. But I get nervous if there's short term treatment because I know that physiologically, that first 30 days is all about just getting your bearings mm-hmm. in life. So introducing it too quickly into mm-hmm. the recovery process to me seems like putting the cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. And I don't want people to get um, distracted mm-hmm. by the shiny thing of the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Whereas, as you know, the way we do this, we believe that, I mean, I don't even know how many years we've been working on the Enneagram, and we feel like we are beginners Mm -hmm. in the work. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make sense to me to put it in a 30-day treatment program. So that that would be the only pitfall that I would see. We are starting to do some Enneagram and recovery work at the
0: MICA Center, at our center. And our requirement is that you've been sober for 18 months. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that then then that makes me feel safe in offering the Enneagram like I'm not getting in the middle of something right. because you're a recovery specialist and I'm not. <laughs> and, you know, um, I think what happens with 12-step work really sets the table well for the Enneagram. Do you think the Enneagram sets the table well for 12-step work? I
1: think the Enneagram sets the table well for seeing the value of sustained 12-step work. Aha, that's very, very rich.
0: So we, uh, Joe and I, and the two of you are parents of adult children, Mm -hmm. and we share twice a year at least about our children and how they're doing and how we're doing with how they're doing. Could you um, share a couple of things about how you think the Enneagram helps you in parenting adult children?
2: Well, well, of course, that uh, assumes that we have correctly assumed what our children's number is, right? right. And for right. for our youngest, he hasn't done any of the, the work, so we're kind of making assumptions with him. But we think he's probably a one. It's kind of interesting because as a child, he got not, not really mad at us, but he was like, uh, he played... Um, t-ball and uh was really good at it and then it came time for baseball the next year and he said no i don't want to play baseball i'll play soccer and we said okay that's great so he played soccer for a few years and then in lacrosse in high school he started playing lacrosse and then his he had a really good friend who loved playing baseball and so then one day he said to us why did you let me stop um why did i stop playing baseball and, and the reason he had stopped was because he said he he wasn't any good at it. Yeah. Right. Which was not true. Which wasn't true at right. all.
0: Just his perception.
2: And so we said to him, Michael, "You were really good at it. You stopped We you stopped because you told us you wanted to stop, and we tried to honor your request."
1: Okay. So, to which he said, "Of all the things, yeah, that you haven't honored,
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, why you right. that time?" That's where you drew the line. <laughs> Um, so, and also he, um, when he played basketball, he's really good at basketball, but he was highly anxious and he just, um, if he made a mistake, it was almost undoing. And so, um, yeah, he wouldn't play. He, I tried to get him to play golf and he would, you know, if he, if he went to the driving range and wasn't immediately ready for the tour, then it was like, well, who who would do this? Yeah.
0: Then for a one, it would be there's a chance for so many mistakes. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yes. yes. If you miss a basket in basketball, everybody knows. You're a hero Mm -hmm. if you make it, and and you're not a hero if you miss. It's just, it's so obvious. You can see how those things would be hard for ones.
1: Our other two children have done extensive Enneagram work, and our oldest is a female eight. Um, And I don't know... What horrible things I would have wrought on her as a dependent six, trying to moderate her eight energy without knowledge of the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Because I would have tried to make her more dependent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To make her more sensitive to the feelings of other people. And I would have misidentified her tenderness.
2: Mm hmm.
1: So, there's that. And then our middle son, Scott, has done work, and he's a five. And he works with me. He co-pastors here at North Star. He would not be co-pastoring with me if I didn't understand five. Mm -hmm. Because I'm in the six without boundaries, dependent stance, so I will work (laughs) until I drop. Mm -hmm. And he boundaries himself Mm -hmm. so beautifully, which I think will keep him in pastoral work, which is very hard. I would imagine that's very difficult for a a five-in-a-recovery ministry where we have a lot of crises. Yeah. But he's done his work around articulating his need, his energy drain. He has also learned some tools like to say to me, my energy is low. I'm going to go to the gym for the two hours. I'll be back at four. Do you need anything from me before I leave? Yeah. So he's really also gotten very clear our whole team is in the dependent stands, mm. except for him. Yeah, and he has he has learned how to manage all that, which I think is fantastic. That is fantastic. All right, let's go back to our eight daughters for a second. Okay, hmm.
0: um, I'm about to finish the path between us, and um, which is my new book for anybody who doesn't know about relationships. And I uh, have a closing story in the chapter on eights about our daughter Joey, who's an eight. And I wrote the story and sent it to her and said, this is what I'm going to close the chapter with. I just wanted you to see it and see if there's anything you want me to change or anything you don't want me to share. And she read it and she sent back to me and she said, Mom, you need to quit trying to soften me. Yeah. And I, you know, once you know the Enneagram, you know that when you try to soften, particularly a daughter who's an eight. Right you're negating their way of being in the world and you're joining everybody else who doesn't understand them. Right. But because we know the tender side of those girls, women now, there's such a tendency to want to introduce them as we know them in a way that includes that tenderness.
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And of course she has a, a baby and um, the tenderness of her around her child yeah. is is so unbelievable. And uh, one of the things that she says, one of the things that our daughter says is, "I am so tired of apologizing for who I am mm-hmm. when I perceive that people love me when I'm solving problems. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I think that that is a very difficult thing, especially for female eight, because they're looking around the world and they're seeing that male eights are valued. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think they really struggle with it. So I, in my dependent stance, um, often find that I am trying to manage my anxiety by trying to temper her. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I I can see. I'm worst case yeah. scenario planning. Yeah, yeah. I know where this road is going to take her, yeah. and I know what kind of feedback she's going to get. But that's me managing my anxiety as opposed to me trusting that um, she's going to be quite capable of figuring sure. this out. Sure.
2: Well, and what's what's tricky is um, <clears throat> when when she was in elementary school. She was always the kid that if there was a new kid in class or if there was a kid who couldn't get their work done, then she was the advocate for that kid. She would be the one that goes over to sure. the new kid. And her second grade teacher told us, she said, this is the most compassionate child I have ever seen, I've ever taught. Fascinating. So without knowing anything about the Enneagram back then, though, I think we, we thought, well, then we should see this soft, tender person all the way through life,
0: uh-huh.
2: right, right, and so um, I think it was even understanding who she really is. You know, when we when we realized though she really is an eight, I think that was kind of a surprising thing. At least it was for me.
1: And how her how she really has very deep and profound feelings.
2: Sure, mm-hmm. sure. sure. So there's that.
1: Okay,
0: so uh, as a combination. What do you think are uh, likely relationship issues for a one and a counterphobic six? <laughs> I wish everybody well, could see the two of you smiling at one another before you answer the question.
2: Well, um, so we're both in the, in the dependent stance. Right. And so we both struggle with stating preferences. Right. Um And uh, we're both can tend towards um, workaholism, and so we really struggle with free time. Like, like the hardest day of the week for us is Saturday, right? Because we wake up and we're like, "Well, what are we? What are we going to do with our day?"
0: Well, thank God you had a plan when you were on your honeymoon. Yeah, <laughs> see?
2: yeah. yeah. Look, look at that face.
1: Like,
0: <laughs> see, I planned the perfect honeymoon. We just didn't know it. <laughs>
1: But what about the story about me saying that I wasn't going to state my preferences anymore? That might be a good story. That's fresh.
2: Yeah, it's very fresh. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, so we do have trouble stating preferences. And so um, recently... um,
1: There was just an issue about a preference. There was was an issue about a preference,
2: and, and Teresa actually stated her preference. And this one didn't actually have anything to do with me in this particular case. Um, and her preference was kind of ignored. And so she made the statement, um, well, I don't even know why I bother to state preferences because nobody pays attention to them. Right. Right. Well, then all of a sudden I coupled that with a number of conversations we've had where she would make a statement. And then in, in her words, she, she started out saying, you don't need to perfect this. But so my, my thing was she would have an idea and then I would improve upon it. Right. 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 And of course, um, and we both chain. Right. Yeah. So, chain, so
0: let me explain chaining. So yes. chaining is uh, ones, twos and sixes tend to connect everything to everything. So if a, if one thing goes bad in a one's life at work, then everything's going to go bad. It's like the whole business is in trouble. It's not a it's not a bad moment. It's a oh, we're in big trouble. if one thing happens relationally for people in the dependent stance who chain, then they remember without any effort all of the other things that were threatening to the relationship. It's like they all just pop up. So um, I, too, am in the dependent stance. And when Joe hurts my feelings, it's like I can recall every single time you hurt my feelings in chronological order without any difficulty. Right. <laughs> right. So <clears throat> we don't, we in this stance don't work to do that. We have to work to not do that.
2: Right.
1: And this is one of the beautiful things I think that we can show about the value of the Enneagram. So you had an insight, which you said to me just this morning, which was.
2: Well, uh, so, um, it, you know, And I was was having an improvement for the idea, right, that I'm thinking this is goodness for both of us, right? right?
1: You think you are helping. I think I'm helping. Sure. Right? Sure.
2: And how she's receiving it is, yet again, here goes my preference being ignored. Mm -hmm. Right? And so, you know, the thought that I had was it would make all the difference in the world if I would say, hey, um, here's an idea. What do you think about this? Mm -hmm. As opposed to just, you know, when we, when we talk about, you know, doing and feeling and, and kind of leaving thinking out of it, then it, it's such an unconscious thing for me to, you know, she'll say, well, I'm going to go to Target and do this. And then I'm going to go to Wegmans and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, "Well, why don't you go to Wegmans first? Because then blah, 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 blah. Right. You know, she wasn't really asking for right. input. Right. Right. And it's just so that happens automatic.
1: All the time. And then do you remember last winter when I got really mad at you for doing something along these lines and I went for a really long walk and I came back. So going out in nature was really good for me, you know, mm-hmm. just giving myself some time, pause to try to bring up thinking. So I was saying, all right, I've got to bring up thinking. And I came back in and I said, and he probably doesn't even remember this because this was a nice thing I said. So mm-hmm. he's going to ignore it. Yeah, But I said, Wait a minute. When I bring up thinking, almost every imp- every suggestion you make is an improvement. Yeah. You do improve our lives with spending more time on this or doing more research or, you know, uh, pausing. I'm, I can make a decision quickly. Mm-hmm. He makes a decision very slowly. These are improvements most of the time. Yeah. And... I just need to acknowledge that, and I think what I did. Do you remember I had the discipline for the month where I said to you, "I want you to improve everything I say to you, so I can practice receiving it." Oh, oh, it was hard. I oh. could for yeah. everybody, I bet. I could not wait for that month to
2: it, be over. Yeah, because I had gotten a little gun shy at
1: that point. <laughs> like, you want me to <laughs> what? Why would we do that?
2: Yeah. <laughs> this hasn't worked well no. in all the past. <laughs>
1: have so many options of things to work on (laughs) but we practiced it and um, it's just we still have the same issues but we have removed a lot of that emotional defensiveness from it the Enneagram language has provided us a way to talk eventually with much greater compassion Mm -hmm. and really kind of dispassionately about a lot of things Mm -hmm. that was hard. I mean it took us a long time it took a while
0: What do you, um, Pete, what do you wish people knew about how long have y'all been married?
2: 39 years. All right.
0: What do you wish people knew about a one Mm. and what a one learns in 39 years of a marriage where you're using some tools to do life better?
2: Hmm. Well, I'll put my I'll put my one plug in first, okay? Okay. Um, because I uh, just just for the ones out there, you know, we don't really need anything to be perfect. We just want it to be better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's very good.
0: Yeah. I like that line. Like what? That? Can I have that? You may have that. All right. I'm taking that.
2: Uh, well, that's a great question.
0: Well, and I know that you need to give the right answer, and so I'm going to move to Teresa and ask okay. her the same question. All right. Don't listen to her. You think about what you're going yep. to say. Yep. Okay. I don't know how you do that, but <laughs> I feel sure there are times when you don't listen to her <laughs> when she's talking. Maybe, maybe so just go time. there. <laughs> <laughs> so all those years of marriage answered the same question. What What is it that you you wish counterphobic, sex is new, mm-hmm. about living in a marriage and trying to use some tools to make it better? And what tools help? Not just the Enneagram, what tools help? I'm just convinced that the divorce rate is so high. Anxiety is so high. A conflict is so high because people don't have any tools to work with. So there's this expectation that we're all going to just do better next time. Why would we think we're going to do better if we don't have any new information to do better with? That's, it seems like we're set up to fail. Over and over and over. And the one thing that I love so much about the Enneagram is that it never tells me what's wrong with me without also showing me that I have exactly what's necessary to make it right. I do love that. Yeah. And I can't make it right forever, but I can make it right right now. So I want young people to try to to embrace some tools. The Enneagram's one. Certainly for people in recovery, that comes with a whole host of tools what helps you guys
2: i just thought of some. okay go okay go (laughs) one of the hardest things to hear was that i had repressed thinking right Uh nobody wants to hear that um and i think for me it's like with my desire to want things to be better right and that's better for me that's better for us it's better for our family to realize that the way that I think about something or the way that I'm, the way that my automatic thing says this is better may not be, uh-huh. and just be aware of that, because I think that's that's what I've had to wrestle with most recently, is just always thinking that, well, if, if, if
1: my way's got to be better.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: and, and sometimes isn't it impersonal? Sometimes isn't it, well, this way would be better. Not... Not even being attached to it. Not like, well, this is my way and it would be better, but let's do this. This would be better.
2: Right. Right.
0: Yep. Is there a fear in you that if you don't keep moving toward better, things are just going to fall apart?
2: Probably.
0: That's a lot of pressure.
2: Yeah. And I think this may not be true, but I feel like I'm oftentimes more anxiety driven than anger driven. Uh Uh-huh. And that could be denial. Well, it's dependent stance. You know, we all really ones, two, sixes really struggle with anxiety, mm-hmm.
0: and and we turn it into something else.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
0: and so you know, I turn all feelings into anxiety. As right. A two, right?
1: What I would say is that um, you know I, I stay in the present, but what I would say is things change. Don't give up. Mm hmm. And in the present verse six, you're so whipped up about what's about to happen that it's just going to take you down. Mm-hmm. And none of those things that I've ever worried about have taken me. I've been taken down, but not by anything I worst case scenario planned for. Mm-hmm. And the thing I love about the Enneagram is it actually, I believe, has come to reorient my time. So I have a story about that. So... When we were first married, for a lot of reasons, I had, um, not the least of which was my number, I had a lot of anxiety that Peter was going to leave me. But I didn't think he was going to leave me in the sense that he was going to find a better option, because come on now, yeah. how yeah. could that be? Right? <laughs> right. But I thought he was going to be involved in a car accident, going to or from work. So that the the worry was that specific? It was... Really specific. And so he had to call me when he got to work every day. And if he forgot, I wouldn't speak to him for three days. And he had to remember to call me when he was leaving so I could watch. And if he didn't, I was just a basket case. Mm-hmm. Now, there were some things, Some one thing which I really think was a God thing and a love thing that resolved it because when he began... He was going to give up on a job as a consultant because he knew that I couldn't handle him being out of town Mm -hmm. because of my anxiety. He'd get on a plane to go somewhere, and I would be sure he was going to die. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it was hysteria. It was hysterical anxiety. And for whatever reason, by the grace of God, and I don't try to super-spiritualize things, but this was one of those moments where that fear was taken from me overnight. The next morning after it was removed, he called me and I said, why are you calling me? This was nine years into our marriage. It was a little disconcerting to him.
0: What, what did you think? Because I would be scared to death not to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you mean, why am I calling?
2: Right, right. Yep. It's just. Uh, it was unbelievable. I thought this was what you needed. Right. So.
1: But <clears throat> I attached all of that to my upbringing. Mm-hmm. And there is some of that sure. truth. Sure. But the thing of it is, is if you only attach that to your upbringing, you miss out on the opportunity to take responsibility of your side of the fence.
0: Yeah, that's
1: exactly what I was going to talk about. So now I can look back and say, this was kind of the perfect storm, but it was a storm that I went looking for as a six. Oh. I look for that storm. That's good. Does that make sense? Absolutely it does.
0: And so what So it's like the feelings come before the storm. Yeah. So you so uh, let me tell a little story and let's see if it if it sure if it's the same feeling. Okay. You know, Joe's a pastor and he's just the greatest guy. And he's handsome and he can sing and he you know, he's personable. He's got all that stuff going on. And uh lots of women flirt with him. And I'm not good at it. I've never been good at it. I'm still not. I'm better, but I'm not great. And in one of our churches, it's been a while, so people need to not try to figure out what church and who and all that. It's been a while. But in one of our churches, I, I kept finding myself approaching his office on a Sunday morning after I taught my Sunday school class. And this same woman would be standing in the doorway. And she, at one point, saw me coming, and she said, we'll be through in just a minute. She held her hand up and Uh said, we'll be through in just a minute. And I guess Joe flew from behind his desk to the door, because I mean in a millisecond. He was standing right beside her, and he said, oh, no, 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 we're through. (laughs) Suzanne, come right, you just come right on in. So then a little while later, um, I approached the office on a Sunday morning again. She's standing there while the door closes with her and Joe on the, the desk side, right? So... Again, I guess he flew because that door opened that fast. Well, I kind of got caught in that and I started making up stuff like oh, we yeah. do, you yeah. know, in yeah. our stance. And as dependent numbers, right, we make up stuff. And two and six and one females make up a lot of stuff.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah.
0: So I had a whole movie about what was happening. And I started rah rah to Joe about it. You know, we just... I mean, I would wake up mad on a Sunday morning because it might occur. Mm-hmm. And how was he going to handle it faster than last time? And he looked at me like, I, there is no faster. I, that's the best I've got. Mm-hmm. So finally, I, I was pushing it so much. I thought, you know, I need to take this to therapy. So I start my Rai and telling my story in therapy. And, and as a family, we've all used the same therapist for a long time. And he knows all the players and all the Enneagram numbers and everything. And he uh, listened to me for a few minutes and he said, well, could we stop talking about you for a minute? No, no, he said, could we stop talking about her for a minute and could we talk about you? And I said, okay. And he said, I think we need to figure out what you're so anxious about because you're hanging all of your anxiety on her bones. Hmm. And boy, that caught me up short. Yeah. So what I'm asking you, is because you're a six, do you wake up with this anxiety that you have to put somewhere? It's like anxiety looking for a cause.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, what I've really observed about myself, uh, I also have a very active dream life, Mm -hmm. which drives him crazy Mm -hmm. because when I wake up from one of those dreams, which is my anxiety, if he's in it, I'm mad at him as soon as I wake up. Right. (laughs) So he can't get away from it morning, noon, or night.
0: Boy, that early morning paddle boat thing looks better and better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, really does.
1: It like, get yeah, some
0: exercise. Yeah, before yeah. breakfast, let's yeah. go out on the paddle boat. We're,
2: we're, we got kayaks, you know, we can do that.
1: But I am <clears> learning <throat> how to coach myself and call this feeling by the name. This is just anxiety. I, I give her a little personage. I say she's shown up to try to be helpful. Yeah. There are a lot of reasons for it. I don't need to judge it. I'm noticing it. Now, thank you for being my friend, because you are trying to be helpful, but I need to set you aside and bring up my thinking. There you go. And for me... That's productive thinking. For me, bringing up productive thinking is refusing to hear the siren's call or respond to the siren's call of... Worst case scenario plan. There you go. There you go. So what is the next thing I need to do? What is the next productive thing I need to think about? Thank you for coming. I don't I don't want to try to, because it wouldn't work, to say I don't want to do that anymore. Sure. But sure. thank it for coming and then, then ask it to stand down so I can continue on.
0: What is your growing edge right now in your number? You know, I worry so much when I'm going from place to place, trying to leave anagram wisdom behind that it, it, it stops. And the gift of the Enneagram is that it keeps on giving something to you. If you keep on working with it, it'll keep giving you new insights about yourself and it'll keep making life better. So um I know the two of you well enough to know that you're always working at something that makes you a healthier, and more whole human being. So that's kind of what I'm looking for in terms of what's your growing edge in your number.
1: Well, I can answer that quickly while you think. Uh, My growing edge in my number is uh, attending to my work rather than just my community's work. Mm -hmm. Right? Because we have introduced this tool in our community, so we have a lot of conversation about it on an ongoing basis so our community has a fairly high level of accountability to be continually working right but i have to make a conscious effort to not get distracted by other people's work because it's very interesting to me yes uh, to stay to stay with me and to accept the fact that doing my work is something that yes it's good for community but it's also like Oh, this is a weird way to say it. I, this is poor articulation. But I deserve... It's a bad word. I am valuable, too, as an individual. There you go. And so me taking time to do my work is appropriate. Yes. And ultimately best for the community. It really is. Absolutely. But, but instead of saying, I'm doing this because it's best for the community... yeah. I'm saying, no, I'm just doing it because this is my work and this is, this is cool. Right. And you're modeling it for other people too.
0: You know, if we don't do our work, then we're not modeling. Yeah. You you know, we're not modeling
2: what what we're teaching. What about you? So there's actually two things, I think. One, one that actually has to do with our relationship and one that has to do with my work. Okay. So in our relationship, it's kind of what we were talking about earlier is, is, is getting out of the automatic response to try to improve, mm-hmm. right? And to, and to think about that and and to be aware of that is awareness is the first part. The second thing is work wise is what I've seen and where I've gotten in trouble before is trying overperforming. Yeah, I mean I I care more about like the, doing consulting work. I care more about what I'm doing than the people I'm working for care right. about it. Right. And so uh, I've, I really had kind of a meltdown four or five years ago with that, with panic attacks and everything. And so I just recently caught where I had set a deadline for something that nobody else even cared about. Right. And then I was starting to get anxious about meeting the deadline. And all of a sudden I had to say, you know what, time out. You don't have to do this. Yeah. So just being aware of when I'm, I'm doing that, I'm also trying to say, you know what, you, you already do a good job you don't have to sure. meet some some ridiculous standard that you're the only one that cares about it. Yeah, so great.
1: that's great. We also went on vacation for almost two weeks, and his computer wasn't working. It broke the day wow. before.
2: Yeah, so it, it was completely offline for miles. 10 days.
1: He was completely offline for 10 days, and I did not experience any anxiety in him. It was so great. That is great. That's great.
0: The thought I want to close with for people who are ones, twos or sixes. We overprepare, we overthink, we overfeel, we over-respond, we overreact. We do a lot of overing. I have spent some time journaling about whether or not other people's expectations from me are what I'm really responding to. Or am I responding, like you just talked about in oneness, to a a set of expectations for myself that are just unreasonable? You know, I'm working with a lot of people in a month. And I happen to have an experience this morning of somebody who's not happy with the decision that I've made about a group that they're in. I get so sidetracked by the fact that I didn't Plan for that, prepare for that, think that that might happen, have a plan when it did happen. I was just moving along and then this thing happened. And so I'm spending my day today continuing to put the thing back in its place and go on with my day. And I said to Joe this morning, uh, an honest question was, do you think it's anxiety or do you think I'm tired?
1: Hmm.
0: Because either way, that's my response is to be hard on me. So I I, I want to push again a need that we all three know that we have and that we respond to, which is to have a practice, okay. to have some kind of spiritual practice that keeps us centered. And to expect to be able to do that without any kind of daily routine that, that helps you find yourself, I think is just... I think it's an
1: impossible journey. I would never have discovered joy without a daily practice, right? Just wouldn't. Have. Yeah. And I know daily practices. Some I don't understand it. It's very mystical and mysterious. But I can go for days, weeks, even months thinking nothing is happening right. here. This is just getting me more agitated. But somehow joy keeps sneaking up on me. Mm-hmm. And it never happened before I began a day practice. Yes. Yeah. So, All
0: right. Well, thank you guys so much. I thank have you for just having us. tons of affection for both of you. Well, we love you to mm-hmm. pieces. And thanks so much for letting us be on your awesome podcast. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us this week. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Please visit the Enneagramjourney.org and join me again next week.
2: The Enneagram Journey
1: podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. Music is provided by Solve Lighthouse. Professional photography is courtesy of Courtney Perry. We invite you to visit theenneagramjourney.org for more information. And we welcome your questions and comments. Thank you for being with us today.